Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. We're going to have a little bit of all three today. It uh, should, be, should be a fun show, perhaps more of basketball. I, obviously, there's some football and recruiting news that we have to discuss, but, uh, but basketball has earned, earned its seat at the table, so we'll talk plenty about that. And of course, for those that are new listeners, I'm Zach Shaw. I write for 24-7 Sports. Steve Lorenz is on the phone lines with me. He also works for 24-7 Sports. Technically my boss. Great recruiting insight. And, and Steve, let's jump right into the recruiting, uh, which which you can read the full updates at the michiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com. Uh, some, some great VIP intel on there. But with the big news, five-star safety Daxton Hill, who we have praised as uh, one of the one of the you know better athletes to come through in a long I mean 40 43 inch vertical leap 4.3 flat uh, 40 yard dash time computer timed not just you know a high school coach an ambitious coach with the stopwatch but a you know a real time elite elite player has flipped from Michigan he was committed for about a month and a half two months to Alabama who many thought might be the leader initially. But as you said in in your post, Steve, uh, this was not a, oh, Alabama's probably going to flip Daxton Hill situation. This was a Michigan thought they were solid. And so kind of a a rim rattler, so to speak, of of a flip compared to a typical flip. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't so like Alabama flipped uh, Echior last year, offensive line commitment from Michigan. And that was kind of one of those deals where it was expected. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing was, is, like I said, Michigan found out the same way all of us did uh, when he tweeted that he was flipping his commitment. So I know they were completely blindsided by this. Uh, you know, it's like a post on the board, and I don't usually say this because I don't – I mean, granted the fans are what make our site go and everything like that, but I usually don't care about the feelings – of the fans that much because right. they're usually very overreactive to a lot of this stuff. But this one, I think, uh, kind of a punch to the gut. Uh, again, completely came out of nowhere on both ends, too. Uh, I think in talking to our Alabama people, what we found out later, uh, they'd been recruiting him a little bit, had gone in home after Michigan had been in home and thought maybe they could get a visit out of him, but I don't think they expected the verbal to flip. Um, yeah, devastating loss. For Michigan you know we'll see if they keep going here with it they're they're in a position where they can continue to recruit him uh I is know that because he is now signing later I so the deal was is he was Michigan had been working him to try to sign early I wonder They'd why gone, his his camp had go, well <laughs> I, it really wasn't because of that though Zach I mean hmm. it was it was uh like I said they they felt it may, I mean, I shouldn't say it wasn't. I mean, because it's a deal where it's like, okay, this kid's really, really good. We want to get this locked up as soon as we can. Not a right, not a, a Alabama's on our tail. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know. So, so in you know, it, to an extent, yes, but not like fully. And uh, so he, uh, you know, but but they had gone back and forth on wanting to do that or not. And uh, I think the consensus was before this, the flip even happened, is that I think he was going to sign in February either way. Now, whether that changes with his commitment to Alabama, we'll see. I don't expect it as of now, unless Alabama kind of says, you know, wants him to change his mind again. I don't know what that would happen there or not. I don't. I don't really know the details on their end of it in that regard. But uh, you know, we'll see if Michigan keeps going. I know I had my update a couple days ago. Sam followed up with some excellent stuff yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, both updates give you a lot more than what we're going to talk about on here. Sure. Uh, with some de- with some better details on the ins and outs of what happened and stuff. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, like I said, from a fan standpoint, though, I actually really feel for Michigan fans on this one. Uh, not just because he's going to be a he's going to be a great player wherever he ends up, but you know, it's just the I don't know. You kind of it's the same old, same old. You know, November and later have just been brutal for Michigan fans the last two or three years. <laughs> even with even with what we talked about last week, where you know, I still think the program is fine. I think the program is rising, um, but it's like every year uh, things get built up. Things are looking peachy keen. I mean, you could argue heading into the Ohio State game, you know, you got Michigan favored in that game. 
would have been favored heavily against Northwestern if they've been able to win in Columbus. You had Jeff Brome looking like the heavy favorite to go to Louisville, which would have dropped another five-star defensive lineman right into Michigan's lap. Yep. Uh, they were a no-doubt leader for Zach Harrison, uh, which for all we know may still be the case, but there's it's just gone a lot really, really, really quiet there lately. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have Daxon Hill uh, verbally committed. And go to, you, now you go to now, uh, Karlaftis will stick with Purdue because Brome is staying there. Harrison, like I said, Michigan still, could still be fine there. It's, they've just gone very, very quiet the last week or so, uh, basically since the three schools left, you know, went in home. And uh, and then you have Hill flipping to Alabama, which another after effect of Hill flipping to Alabama actually is I think that Alabama felt like they had a better chance of flipping Ohio State's top 100 safety commitment in Jordan right. Battle. Okay. Uh, now, I don't know if Hill's commitment – takes that completely off the table or not but you know it, it could turn into a deal where uh theoretically again i'm not insinuating anything here on harrison but ohio state could have gone from not having harrison or jordan battle to now potentially having both and michigan ending up with nothing when they could have had hill harrison and like i said maybe a Carlaftis uh type deal or whatever so well, if you want to get more abstract i mean Kingsbury going to USC basically means, Eddie, you know, Kyle Ford. Again, we had talked about Michigan not necessarily in the group there, but it's it's, it's almost like every five star domino that that could have gone Michigan's way. As far as it, right. it seems, it, it seems it, like this is like a worst case scenario. Right, and this and this is different than say last year where you know they whiffed on uh, Petit Frere, they whiffed on Tyler Friday. Uh, this is a little bit different. This is more domino. I mean, hill flipping is hill flipping, but the other stuff might be more domino related than anything else. Uh, so, but you know, for Michigan fans, I mean, it, it does. It feels like November to signing day has been a uh, really rough period for the last few years. Uh, difference here is I do like on paper again. I mean, I liked last year's class, but I said, like I said, I, I last year's class was definitely more project. Mm-hmm. based as far as guys who would not make an immediate impact but could down the road could be like a lot of guys who could really very highly outplay their ranking they just might take a little more time like I said Michigan with their 16 and 17 classes I think had the opportunity to take some more chances in 18 19 will definitely be more like 16 and 17 as far as uh, a solid amount of high-end talent and uh, their three-star guys are all almost all of them are guys who have legitimate potential to outplay their ranking, and and many of them are guys that I don't look at it the same way in eighteen as guys. A lot of these guys are guys who could make more of an immediate impact. You know, you look at like a Giles Jackson, um, a George Johnson, who I'm still really high on as a potential receiver there. Sainra still, uh, you know, they they got way more athletic this cycle. So it's it's you know we'll see. Again, we're not sure if Michigan's done there with Hill or not. Uh, so that what do you? you know, we'll, I mean, I guess for for listeners who maybe don't follow recruiting, generally speaking, the double flip, the the recommit, <laughs> uh, pretty pretty rare. I mean, Aubrey Solomon's is one very, example, but it's not it's generally rare. that common. Well, I don't, I don't believe Aubrey committed somewhere else. I think he reopened and then Michigan got him back. If I remember okay. right, that was, such, that was a wacky one at the end. I'm trying to think, I don't think he verbal anywhere else. So yeah, to, to, to lose a, a flip and then to get the kid to reflip back. Yeah. History does not shine uh, on, in favor of that happening very often. So like I said, we'll just, I'm not trying to get anybody's hopes up uh, cause you know, Alabama usually ends up getting what they want at the end of the day. Uh, <laughs> in a lot of these situations, well, you think about it. I mean, that was why this one was such a big deal. They beat Alabama head-to-head for a guy. Uh, they've been burned how many times when they're head-to-head with Alabama. And uh, this one looked like the exception. And now it's maybe going to be looked back on as the most painful of the rule, right? Like, yeah. uh, you know, and so, um, yeah, it's just, we'll see. You know, and I guess, again, Harrison, it's gone radio silent lately. We're sure between Sam and myself, we'll somebody will have something in the next couple of days, I would assume. And then, uh, you know, they're still looking to close strong with other guys like Trevor Keegan mm-hmm. announces on Friday. I feel like Michigan looks pretty good there, which would honestly would give them a really, really nice 
offensive line class. Yeah, you think so, right? I mean, that'd be three top 200. Yeah, yep. And yeah. then the other, and then again, the three guys who aren't in the top 200. I mean, I would argue Carson Barnhart's a guy who, and I know Alan Trues said the same thing. Uh, Barnhart might have the highest ceiling of any of those guys. I think Rumler is kind of that hey, that guy committed a long time ago, so it's not really that big a deal anymore that he's a part of the class because he's been part of the class so long, guy. Hmm. But that's a really long guy. But, Is that your two-and-a-half-year uh, crystal ball? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I predicted him in 2015. But he might be the most no-doubt player in the class, like the guy who I think maybe have the highest floor. And uh, you know, and then you add Trent Jones, who i have senior season. Yes, yeah, so a yeah. guy that I had as a – four star when he committed to Michigan and he finally got it on our last uh regrade here and then uh, and then potentially Keegan too and then like I said you add in Jack Stewart and Zach Carpenter uh Stewart kind of one of those didn't go to any camps guy who plays for a small high school in Connecticut so and Carpenter was, was pro- someone Clemson was in on so yeah, exactly. kind of a ground a, floor type of player. Right. And, a, and another guy that I know, uh, Bill Green out of uh, our Ohio guy, has said is a perfect – he said he's a perfect Ed Warner interior lineman. So I think Michigan fans would like to hear that. So, yeah, so the, you, you'll hope that that group, a potential group of six, um, pans out better than the one in 2013. I think somebody mentioned that on the board today. Uh, you know, and that's, that's one of the deals with taking six is you better hope a lot of these guys pan out because – uh, that 2013 uh, offensive line class really hurt Michigan up front for a long time uh, with Bosch and Fox and Dawson and Tule Tillman and Kugler uh, is really the only one that did anything, but even then played one year and was, we'd probably say average. Yep. Um, yep. You know, so that, that group of that, that offensive line unit uh, really hurt them. And those were all like top 150 Ranking-wise, that 2013 group was a better group than what they're bringing in this year. So mm. uh, so we'll have to see. But overall, like I said, the class looks really nice. And, and again, I don't think that they're done. And I think they're still going to finish stronger than what people uh, maybe think they're going to finish. I think people are just a little shell-shocked and upset. Yeah. And, and again, like I said, with this one, I get it. Normally, I would just like, whatever, get over it. But this, I, it, I get it. You know, it's disappointing because this seems to happen – uh, Michigan does all the hard work, and then you know the, uh, these uh, other schools will just say these SEC schools and ACC schools uh, have a tendency to kind of sneak in late and just kind of take a guy. You know, you got Isaiah Wilson in there a couple of years ago. Um, this one, although again, Bama was always kind of a factor for Hill. It's not as it wasn't out of, out of nowhere. nowhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't the out of nowhere one that uh, Georgia was with Wilson, but. Still the same idea, uh, especially, like I said, in the idea that Michigan had not been given any indication that uh, the Tide was really still a factor or involved there. And, uh, you know, and then they kind of come out of nowhere and, and, and get him. So, yep. yeah, so well, whatever. It, it, for those that, that are suddenly interested in recruiting, signing day is in eight days, at least from when we're recording this. Uh, if you're listening later, it's it's the 19th. Uh, and... So far, some context for the class. The class is ranked 11th right now. Uh, They have 12 four-star or five-star. I think it's just all four-star, but uh, they have 12 four-star or higher recruits. In last year's class, they had seven, and they currently lead in the crystal ball for two other four- or five-star players, Zach Harrison and Trevor Keegan. Uh, And then Cornelius Johnson is someone who is emerging in Michigan's favor a little bit. We'll see what happens there. Yeah. So, so you know, already a, a more year one ready class. Uh, I don't I think, think so. there's too much else to, to talk about with recruiting. Daxon Hill, huge loss. I, I think we've kind of covered that. You know, someone that probably, in my opinion, and perhaps in Steve's opinion, uh, you, you know, right away starting, you know, where, where Kennel was playing, uh, I- instant impact kind of player. Absolutely. Yeah. So. I had a pencil. I, I would have, I, again, I wouldn't have put it in pen, but I would have put it in pencil okay. uh, that he'd have been <laughs> starting uh, at one of the two safety spots next season, probably yeah. the free. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Do you, they, are there safeties that they're, that they're looking at 
is there is that like their goal is that now suddenly looking at other safeties or are they gonna... I think they I think they have to yeah uh, that's the thing safety was was one of their bigger I think offensive line I think running back I think wide receiver it was mostly offensively is where they needed the most uh that were their biggest needs were this cycle uh, but I think safety was kind of that other one and the other thing too and I know most that follow recruiting would probably know this or realize this is safety is really the one position where Michigan hasn't really signed a highly ranked, no doubt, like stud uh, under Harbaugh. I yeah, mean, that's true. again, that's provided Charbonnet signs at running back. Cause I think he's a five-star level player for sure. I expect him to sign. I don't think there's any issue there. Uh, you know, and I think, cause I think running back may have been the other one where they got guys they wanted, but they didn't get that, you know, no doubt guy who'd go who you almost know will go to the NFL provided they stay healthy type guy. So mm-hmm. uh safety was that other spot and now all of a sudden you had a guy in there where you're like, okay, this this guy's probably one of the two or three best safety prospects in the last four or five cycles, uh, you know, penciled in and now that's gone. So now all of a sudden safety looks like a a big need again. They have Quentin Johnson who again I think is one of those eighty eight 89 ranked guy rated yep. guys who I think is going to outplay is, is has all the athletic ability in the world and could really be a guy that could make a big impact. Um, but yeah, I, I suspect, and again, that's with the caveat that, you know, I think Michigan's going to kind of keep trying with Hill. Uh, and, you know, we'll I'm, again, not trying to get anybody's hopes up at all in that regard, but you know, it is a spot where I think they're going to have to find somebody, whether it's, if they can, pull that miracle off or go somewhere else, I think they're going to have to do something. Good to know. Good to know. Uh, Sticking in the realm of recruiting, I'm curious because this weekend Jim Harbaugh went, uh, I guess he didn't go on SportsCenter, but he talked with Adam Schefter, and Adam Schefter went on Sunday NFL Countdown, and I think the clip got played on SportsCenter as well. Uh, Very, I'll say it, the most adamantly against going to the NFL that Jim Harbaugh has ever been. You know, it, it gets brought up every year. Uh, we have talked in the past about how, you know, I think Jim Harbaugh said it was jive turkeys was the phrase a, a year ago or maybe two, that was two years ago. And uh, you've had Ohio State's connected reporters, uh, you know, spread these rumors like, oh, Jim Harbaugh is interested. I think by now we've heard his name uh, loosely thrown in the hat for Cleveland, um, uh, Indianapolis, Chicago. Green Bay, Oakland, uh, Miami, New York. Uh, I don't know if I'm missing I mean, that, a major are, one. Those are legitimately all, yeah. <laughs> um, oddly enough, not was never mentioned in the Lions coaching search for some reason. <laughs> like you know, he wasn't though, right? But he's but ever almost every other opening. Yeah, I mean, geez, I forgot about Miami. Miami was a big one because of Ross, and then Chicago was the quote dream job right <laughs> the yeah, Colts, Chicago come home yeah <laughs> yep yeah and then Oakland going back to the Bay Area like all yeah. these like you know man it's amazing you know such an overrated coach would be so wanted by all these uh I know, you know it's like the it's a lot of the same people that have both, or same shows like, that have both opinions. I know that say he's overrated <laughs> but then say like that, that a prestigious NFL franchise like the Green Bay Packers uh would want to hire him to be their next head coach it's always so yeah so anyway funny. is that amazing though like we go to recruiting that like, again, it's like where Michigan gets hosed in both directions where staffs are going in there saying, I'm sure are going in there saying he can't win the big one or he's 0 four versus Ohio state or whatever. And then on the other hand saying he's going to leave for the NFL, you know, he's got bigger goals. And it's almost like they pick their Michigan. approach given the recruit, like which one's yeah, going to resonate no, more. Right. 100%. Which is so. by the way, by the way, uh, since I had someone shoot me a message about negative recruiting and how uh, you know all these other schools negatively recruit, Michigan doesn't. Uh, not true. Every school negatively recruits. It's just part of recruiting. It's it's you t- say the positives of your program and the negatives of the other program. It happens in the work world. It happens in uh, I mean basically any time that you're competing for someone's services, that's going to happen. Happens in the pros. Uh, so. I don't know if that's opinion people still are consternated about, but it's going to happen. But I will, I Steve, I have a question for you as someone who talks to talks to these recruits and is in these recruiting circles. 
is that why? I mean, I, I guess how important do you feel like it was for Harbaugh to go out and say it this strongly? Say it's a choreographed message that comes up every year that they have big plans at Michigan. I mean, was there was there a recruiting battle that he felt like he was losing that he responded to, or is this a something that he has felt resonates with recruits? Uh, what was what was the cause in your eyes, from your perspective, as to why now and why so strongly at this point? Uh, I, I, my instinct tells me the biggest reason why is uh, less than 24 hours after Urban Meyer retires that a prominent Ohio State alumni goes on a national television show and tries to basically push Harbaugh into any potential job opening in the NFL. Cleveland that there was. and Green Bay. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> right, and so, and, and again, I'm sorry, but that is just total BS. Like that, that is that is recruiting 101 right there. That is Urban Meyer again, Chris Carter being the uh, alumni, I mean, zero doubt in my mind. You know, in the same interview, he's talking about how he had talked to Urban Meyer the day <laughs> before. And you don't think that that isn't one of the subjects that must have come up. Because then, like I said, Chris Carter goes on this tangent about Harbaugh entertaining NFL offers. And so with Meyer retiring, and some saying, wondering, openly wondering, and rightfully so, in my opinion, you know, is Ryan Day going to have the same ability to recruit that Urban Meyer did, you know, that Ohio State specifically would come out with some kind of, you know, a plan to at least keep those, keep that fire warm as far as the mm-hmm. Harbaugh to the NFL stuff, you know. I mean, the day after the same de- same day uh, was Har- when Harbaugh was in Cincinnati to see uh, Darian Henry, Jaheim Thomas, a couple of the you know, Henry being, I believe, the number two, number one or number two prospect in Ohio in 2020. Um, you know, so so I think it was necessary in the idea that, like, again, I don't know if it is it ever going to, like, put it fully to rest. Probably not. I don't know. I'm sure it'll still pop up every once in a while. Because, again, these guys, these people that just throw this stuff out there, there's never any repercussions for it. So if it helps their cause – which again, like I said, I fully believe Chris Carter was, you know, trying to help the Ohio State cause by spreading this crap. Um, you know that he might still just have to deal with it, but maybe to a little bit of a lesser extent, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, no doubt, the timing of all of it was again just so transparent. Uh, to act like it wasn't is is right. really funny. Well, this one, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, this one was this one was so. This one was so obvious. Again, like I said, he couldn't even, you know, just the fact that in the same interview he's saying that he had just talked to Urban Meyer yesterday, and all of a sudden he's got the inside scoop, which, again, Chris Carter, not a guy I believe is usually the one with the scoop on NFL coaching rumors. Uh, You know, all of a sudden he has this great scoop about Green Bay and Cleveland and Harbaugh. Uh, It's just so choreographed um, that that – you know, it was. I think it was the right time for Harbaugh to kind of come out vigorously. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the thing, Urban Meyer. It's all about recruiting. That's his greatest legacy, in my opinion. I mean, he won three national titles because he had some of the most talented college rosters that in history. Yeah, and that's because he's a great recruiter. I mean, he to me, to me, honestly, I think he's the single the best single head coach recruiter that there's been. And I do. I think he's better than Saban. In that regard, I think with, with Saban, it's that Saban has won so much that recruiting has become really, really easy. For, I mean, he's still a great recruiter, mm-hmm. um, but Meyer, I think, is the guy that has perfected the recruiting craft, perfected the recruiting game in that regard. And uh, and every decision he's made has something to do with recruiting. Yeah. You know, and so, uh, and that's where he's, and that's, you know, because he knows that if I have a better hand than you do when we sit down at the table, I'm going to have a better chance to win, you know, and, and that's, and he's parlayed that into all these poker phrases that I'm making, uh, (laughs) has parlayed that into, you know, really an amazing record at Ohio state and all the success he had at Florida. Right. So again, so he knows it's all about recruiting. You got a new coach in there. Who's kind of an unknown as far as that stuff goes. So what do you try to do on his first day of the job? try to help him, you know, hand deliver a nice little, you know, 
kick in the whatever to Michigan as far as putting those rumors out there again that their head coach is considering the NFL. You know, and that's right. to me that's all that was. And uh, again, if there's no repercussions for these guys making up these rumors, and you're Ohio State, then go ahead, then do it. Well, you know, nobody's going to stop you from you know making this you know how these something like i said the guy like chris carter just literally making this stuff up um <laughs> if nothing's going to stop him from from these guys from stopping doing it if you are ohio state or penn state or whoever then keep spreading those rumors right you keep saying it in these kids living room even if they're you know it, it's yeah you're not being honest but honesty doesn't always get you that five-star guy you know and like well again it doesn't cost it didn't cost them not to cost them nothing to do yeah, it. Yeah, it, it cost Chris Carter, Chris Carter, nothing. I mean, it just he just Not said it. You think and, he, you think Chris Carter cares that it wasn't true? No, I mean he doesn't care. Yeah, he's an Ohio State alum trying to help out his program by spreading BS rumors about the rivals head coach on the day the day after their legendary coach and a plus plus recruiter coach uh, is no longer with the program. You know, and so. Yep. Pretty obvious. Yep. Uh, Urban Meyer's recruiting. You can go look at 247sports.com, his classes. I believe I looked last week. He has had one class outside the top 10 in his last 10 classes. And at Ohio State, I believe his last four, possibly the last five, have been top five classes. And in Ohio State, they recruited slightly better than Michigan throughout the 2000s. But it was like the same kind of thing where it's like some years they'll be like 18. But then the next year, maybe there'll be five or seven or nine. And and then as soon as Urban Meyer got his thing going, uh, it was four, two, three, two. Uh, you know, this year's class, I don't think it was ever going to be at that level. Uh, but obviously now it's not going to be. But yeah, he, I mean, he had in our team talent composite, which is a really fascinating tool. Ohio State was the most talented team in the country this year. And. And I think that showed on November 24th when all of a sudden it just one team put it all together. Obviously, Michigan did not put it all together. But I don't know. I don't know if Michigan putting it all together still beats Ohio State at its best. So, yeah, I mean, he's got the highest winning percentage of any coach in the last 50 years. But a lot of that was because in that team talent composite at Florida, most talented teams at Ohio State, most talented teams. So uh, that's right. And that's. That's not even a knock on his coaching ability. It's more like accumulating the the talent is half the battle here. Mm -hmm. And I know that plays into the whole stars matter, whatever uh, type deal. But it, and again, that's why I say we talk about what we talked about with the playoffs a couple weeks ago, where that's why like it's tough to crack right it's tough to crack that shell right now of those like four or five programs in the country mm-hmm. who have done such a because it is it's the same five or six schools at the and top it's of like the ranking one per as you pointed out it's roughly one, one per, per conference. conference yeah and and you know the pac-12 is wide open but you got oklahoma in the big 12 top class in the big 12 again i believe i don't know texas has got a good class to get there has a good class this cycle too but you know and then ohio state in the big 10 and then Clemson in the ACC, and then uh, Alabama and Georgia in the SEC. And it's like, yeah. you know, so if you're in a way, I guess, and this is where I'm not trying to soften the blow or anything, but, you know, Michigan, like we said, has built what I would say is a top 10 program in four years under Harbaugh. Yep. Whereas if you're like, say you're like Tennessee right now, or uh, Florida even, or I don't know. I mean, I guess L- I just still don't think LSU is that good this year, but uh, you know, it's like, it's not easy. I guess Tennessee would probably be the best example, but think about, you know, how prestigious of a program Tennessee has been over the years and how difficult it has been for them to make their way back up, you know, because they're fighting and they're constantly fighting an uphill battle uh, because Alabama's not going anywhere and they keep accumulating more and more and more talent every year, you know, and I think, I think really in that context, I think what Michigan has done slowly, maybe slower, probably slower than what most fans were hoping, I think, mm-hmm. but yep. slowly chipping away and slowly climbing up that mountain uh, to get there, you know, and, and again, it's not a guarantee that they're going to get to the summit or whatever mountain <laughs> metaphor you want to use, but 
but I think that they're positioned in a better shot, well, than maybe any other program in any of those conferences we're talking about, right? I mean, Certainly maybe, any other program maybe Texas, the, maybe Texas yeah. in the Big 12 it might have a shot at, at you know, catching Oklahoma at some point. I mean, they gave them, they beat them once this year, and they gave them a pretty decent game in the Big 12 championship. Um, but besides that, you know, I think you'd have to argue that Michigan's the one program in the best chance year in and year out to kind of overtake that spot or to at least get to get on an even playing field with with that superpower that has dominated whatever conference for however long now. Well, in their superpower, in this case, Ohio State and the Big Ten. I mean, I, I look at the next three years, I think it's a tremendous opportunity for Michigan to, frankly, win a couple Big Ten titles. Because I would I, I would say, based off what I have seen and on the pedigree and the results, I would say Jim Harbaugh is the best coach in the Big Ten. And, and I think, you know, it looks like Penn State, Michigan State, you know, Penn State's got some young talent that's coming in. Michigan State's probably never going away. But I would say they're they're in a different. I think they're a, a rung below, and I'd say Wisconsin's a rung below as well. So yeah, it's really beating Ohio State. So anyway, that's a little bit more philosophical, or not philosophical, more abstract than than we necessarily want to get into because we got a lot of basketball to talk about. But I, I had one. We had one caller on inside the huddle this week say the four team playoff has kind of sucked the oxygen out of everyone in college football except for the teams that are in it every year. In that it's just it's just hard to hard to gain momentum in this playoff or bust, be a top four team or your season was a failure kind of system that they have. So we'll see we'll see what happens in, in future years. I it sounds like more commissioners are on board with an expanded playoff than than a year ago or three months ago even. So uh, perhaps it could happen. But for now, maybe that's a stuff for next week. Feel free to send discussion topics our way uh, via via Twitter. But Let's talk basketball because Michigan basketball, they're off to a really, really good start. They're they're ten and zero. They have blown out nine of those teams. They and 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 they've looked very good against perennial powers. Providence has made five straight NCAA tournaments, beat them by twenty plus. Uh, Villanova won the two of the last three national titles, beat them by twenty seven on the road. Uh, Purdue tournament regulars. Arguably the most stable program in the Big Ten over the last five years, uh, you know, blew them out, blew out North Carolina, who won a title two years ago and and looked has looked very good basically every year uh, we have been alive. So it's you know they're doing that and and the metrics are starting to come in in Michigan's favor. They're they're fourth in Ken Palm's ratings. They're fourth in a lot of computer metrics. The NCAA's net ranking rule uh, or rating tool, uh, which I, I had NCAA evaluation tool. For those that don't know, it's the new RPI. They're going to use it more than they use the RPI because the RPI was very clearly a, a flawed system, even in the NCAA selection committee's eyes. But this system, uh, they're going to use it more in regards to seeding and, and ranking teams and picking who's in the tournament. Uh, Michigan's number one. They're the, they're, it, it, you know, they are off to the best start in the country uh, the other teams that have been 10 and 0 in Michigan history were 2012, 2013, 1988, 89, and 1985, 86. I'd say those are three of the top five teams in Michigan basketball history, you know. And and so that doesn't mean that this team's necessarily going to do that, but it sure doesn't mean that they're not going to. There's obviously some correlation between beating these caliber teams, starting 10 and 0, and just being a good basketball team. It's not a fluke. If it was a fluke, they would have dropped one of these games. And so so the first question, uh, Steve, what has surprised you the most about this team? Because we we talked, I, I actually think we our preview preseason coverage hit a lot of these notes. Not an elite shooting team. Iggy Brisdakis will be good. Uh, the defense will be really good. John Teske's going to be a little bit of a breakout player. Jordan Poole and Charles Matthews will be good scorers. Uh, what what has surprised you so far about this 10-0 start, though? Um, I mean, I think it still is Iggy. Just not that he's good, but, I mean, he looks How like good? he really – Well, he just looks like it, – it, it, I guess – 
I don't. It's just weird. Not even that. It's just the guy just looks. He plays like a junior or senior out there. Mm-hmm. It's not that he's. It's not. About, I don't about that he's scoring a lot of points and stuff. Like, but like, he's. I guess you feel comfortable when he's on the floor on both ends if you're a Michigan fan. Not a, you know, flashy. Hey, this guy's a lot of fun to watch, but makes a lot of mistakes. Right. Kind of guy. Like he, you, you feel comfortable of Michigan's chances or their success on both ends of the floor when he's when he's in, and that's again. I think it was it last week or so. Was it Beeline that had said that you know he's a guy that can get us a basket when we need it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Would you even say like last year's team? didn't have that because there, there were even stretches when when Wagner would struggle um I think between because you know Muhammad Ali Abdur Rahman I remember true. the yeah. during that winning streak all of a sudden there were moments where he looked and I think Derek Walton did it the year prior there were moments where he really stepped up uh but I I I, I, you I, I agree with your with point this, though right? like, he's so yeah. consistent he's a rock uh, I know Ken Palm does Big Ten, you know, best players in the Big Ten rankings, and he's third behind Ethan Happ and Carson Edwards. And I looked at, you know, at various teams and stats and uh, watch watch way too much Big Ten basketball for my own health. But he does look like the third best player in the Big Ten already. Yeah, that's, you know, that's insane. And to think the other thing, too, um, I think the other thing for me that stood out the most is, you know, I think the improvement, and I know he struggled a little bit for a small stretch here the last couple of games, but I think Isaiah Livers hmm. has really been a big, uh, not addition because he played last year, but, you know, a, a big, his sort of leap, particularly shooting the ball, uh, has been huge for them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and again, I think him, them being able to pull, throw that lineup out there gives them that thing that Beeline craves more than anything is again, a lot like the way Don Brown likes to run defense is that Michigan can throw so many different packages at you right now uh, on both ends of the floor because of a guy like Livers. Uh, and then, of course, Teske's emergence makes a difference, and he's mm-hmm. been a – he's something that Michigan – I don't know if they've ever had that under Beeline, what they have with Teske, but uh, but Livers gives them so many different ways that they can attack you on both ends of the floor uh, that they can adapt – to whoever they're playing, I feel like, in a better fashion than maybe they've been able to in years past. And, uh, you know, I, this has been – it's already been a fun ride. I mean, this is, it's <laughs> been uh, not what I expected as far as you're kind of waiting for that major bump in the road. And I guess maybe Northwestern could have been it, uh, even though they won that game. I think, but for uh, them, I think last yeah. year's team loses that game, though. I agree. I fully yeah. agree. And – uh you know, and that's the thing is, is, but I, like I, we were talking about this beforehand, I was laughing about the reaction you got on your uh, your piece about the the depth up front. I was just which, about to again, bring that up. <laughs> well, I mean, it was I, I laughed at the reaction. Uh, you know, it's like I said, Michigan football wins forty nine to seven, and we get guff because we're not hard enough on the flaws that the team would have in a forty nine to seven victory where they like played their reserves for like three quarter or a quarter and a half of the game with the basketball team, they're undefeated. They have a couple of closer games than they've had to begin the season. And you can see some things and those things are identified and you got, you got kind of drugged through the mud for it. Uh, even though it was painfully obvious that, you know, whether it's Brandon Johns or whoever, you know, that, that they're going to need somebody else down low yeah. Uh, during this, when you get into the heat of the conference season, you can't have Teske out there for 35 minutes. Uh, they're going to have to find somebody. And again, maybe Austin Davis turns it around. Uh, it's I don't I don't know if we've even really seen flashes of that. That's going to be the case. If you have, that makes one of us. Yeah. No. I mean, I I, <laughs> I haven't. And uh, I was mildly surprised on Saturday that you didn't see Brandon Johns get a little bit. Yeah, you know, they're up by eleven or twelve with seven or eight minutes to go, and in my head I thought, you know, this might be a, and again that wouldn't be the death blow to playing time for Davis, but you know, kind of throw Johns out there and get him 
some run in a game where, you know, you kind of have a safe lead, you know, throwing him in there is not going to tip the scales of the game or anything like that, you know, but to give him some legit reps against a team in a game where it was, you know, the, you could argue the, the result was still in doubt, um, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. But then again, it's like, I don't, you know, I'm not one to ever question what these guys do at this point, you know, but, but that one did pique my curiosity a little bit because like I yeah. said, I don't know, I don't know how much longer the leash is going to be in that regard, you know, because like I said, you don't want to run Teske into the ground. You can't, he's been too valuable for them on both ends of the floor right yeah. now for them to uh, be playing him as heavily as they have. So, so yeah, so surprises in the up version for myself, how good Iggy is. I, I knew he was going to be probably one of the second or third options. I did not realize he was going to be Michigan's best player. Uh, that's not a dig at anybody else on the team. It's just, he's been, he's been that good. And I think, uh, if if you saw, you know, because I, I said, uh, you know, from day one, I thought Iggy was kind of like a five-star type of player. He turns 20 in January, so it's not like he was going to take long to acclimate. Uh, when 24-7, I think our Illinois writer, you know, asked us, you know, do Big Ten power rankings and then kind of preview the team. You know, I said Iggy's prob- almost certainly going to be a double-digit scorer, uh, instant impact freshman. You know, him and Romeo Langford, I always thought we're going to be the Big Ten's top two freshmen. But for him to drop, you know, 24 points on North Carolina, 18 points in great defense against Villanova, you know, another 20 points against uh, Purdue, you know, it seemed like, I mean, in Northwestern, Northwestern, uh, I'll get to the depth in a moment because I've got things to say, but, you know, Northwestern would go on a 7 nothing run, Iggy was there with two layups. Northwestern yep. would go on a 9 nothing run, Iggy was there with a dunk. Northwestern yep. went on a 7 nothing run, another one. He was there with the three-pointer that kind of put put Michigan back in position to win the basketball game, and that's why I don't think Michigan wins this game last year because I saw I was at both games. I was at the game in Rosemont at that freaky, weird horror story arena, like Allstate Arena, and and it just looks like the set of like like a Final Destination movie, uh, you know, set in an arena. But anyway, um, you know, and they didn't have a guy who went out and got a basket. They they shot uh, five for twenty in the second half against Northwestern last last February, and you know they eventually rebounded from the loss, and they they really I think that's when Muhammad Ali Abdul Rahman, Mo Wagner, and a little bit of Charles Matthews kind of took the the onus upon themselves to be find a way to get a basket. If it's not coming in the way the system is set up, change the system. Uh, but it took them that loss. But on 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 Wednesday in Evanston at the beautiful arena. Uh, Certainly, certainly looks like a doesn't look like a horror movie arena in Evanston. But Iggy was able to find ways to score. You know, he, you know, it's not muscling muscling baskets. I don't mean that just in the sense that he like bulldozed into the paint and got a tough layup. I just think that he he just found hard ways to score and and did it. And so I think him being this good this early is a surprise. Uh, certainly a big part of why they're ten and zero. I think the other big surprise, and probably the biggest surprise, we knew Teske was going to develop. We saw flashes of him being good last year. He leads the nation in defensive efficiency. He leads the Big Ten in blocks. He's starting to become, you know, a, a ten and six kind of player. His rebounding is really good, and he's playing thirty minutes a night. Yep. I mean, it's just I he he is the latest uh, in the line, what a growing line of of you know John Sanderson products. Because he just looks, I mean, he's not, you know, Ethan Happ's going to win all Big Ten center, but Teske's going to be pretty good, you know, and he's going to be someone, I think he has a very good shot of being a second team all Big Ten center, which is like, I mean, you know, you lose Mo Wagner and you <laughs> you wonder like, oh man, they're going to lose that his spirit, they're going to lose his scoring, they're going to lose his ability to center, and it's like you look at Iggy and Teske, and it's kind of like, oh. Well, <laughs> maybe the drop off isn't as steep as as people thought it was going to be. So, those are my two big surprises. I think uh, Jordan Poole could become could add himself to that list by the end of the month. He's scored twenty points a game against North Carolina, Purdue, uh, Northwestern, and South Carolina. That's pretty good against good competition. But as far as the depth goes, yeah, I I I will say I'm surprised Brandon Johns and David DeJulius haven't had more of an impact yet. Because they were also top 100 recruits, 
Uh, they were in-state guys. Michigan really liked them. I mean, David DeJulius was committed for like 20 months before he ended up actually getting on campus. Uh, Brandon Johns was the first player they offered in the 2018 class. So it's not like these, you know, everyone was really excited about the freshman class. And I think Adrian Nunez, Colin Castleton were always kind of penciled in, uh, to, to use your phrase, as guys who probably wouldn't crack the rotation this year. But, you know, I wrote that depth story. You want to know why I wrote it? Because they were plus 26 when Iggy and John Teske were on the floor, and they were minus 24 when Isaiah Livers and Austin Davis were on the floor. And I, I don't think Isaiah Livers is a problem at all. As, you know, you talked about it. He's providing them a, a, some floor-spreading shooting. You know, he can play the five and defend the five really well. Uh, you know, he's he's been the third or fourth best player on the team a lot this year, which I don't think you could say last year when he started. So he's been good, but I, Austin Davis, it's just there's something. I don't know if it's between the ears. I don't know if it's a talent or game speed situation. Uh, you know, they, they brought him here for a reason. I know John Beeline is always excited about him. That's why they brought in two centers because they thought he was going to be that good. You know, great nose for rebounding. We saw him make a couple hustle plays on Saturday, but it's just there's mental mistakes. There are There's a clear drop-off when he's on the court, and that does make you wonder, Brandon Johns, you know, is his time coming? And I, I think these next three games will tell us, because if John Beeline doesn't play Brandon Johns very much in these next three games, uh, they might be heading into Big Ten play with, with who they've got. But a seven-man rotation is is small. You know, Eli Brooks has done a nice job. He developed a good sophomore bounce-back season so far. But they probably want David DeJulius, a little bit more of a natural point guard, to, to take some of those minutes away from Xavier Simpson. And not take them away, but give him a chance to rest. Yep. You know, these Big Ten games, I mean, you know, a lot of, lot of, lot of really good teams in the Big Ten. I'd say probably nine look like NCAA tournament teams right now. Uh, a couple teams like Minnesota, Northwestern, you know, could could improve to that level. They're not there yet, but I mean, these are it's it's gonna it would be very tough for Michigan to maintain this level of success when they're playing two or three game two or three conference games a week. I think it's just hard to hard to justify. So that's that's probably the one one thing I look at and say. This is this is what Michigan needs to work on. I, I'd say shooting as well, but you know what? They've shown they can win if, if they if their shots aren't falling. You know, they can find ways to score the basket. And they're also quietly shooting thirty six percent from three now. You know, we were talking early on in the year, thirty or thirty two might be a bar for them to hit. Uh so they're 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 getting shooting, probably want more shooting, but I think depth is is the biggest concern. There really isn't anything else to be concerned about. I mean, you, I think we were joking before the show, you know, the reason people aren't talking about basketball as much on our board is that there's nothing to complain about, but you know, it's it's just they're they're just winning. They're they're dominating teams. I'm really another thing I'm impressed by. I'm not surprised cuz I know who their captains are. Really impressed with how they play possession by possession. You know, I've seen them they were down by 10 to North Carolina. Uh, they've been in situations at Villanova and at Northwestern where, uh, you know, they have to create their own momentum. You know, think things are it's an uphill battle. You know, when we saw even South Carolina, they're playing this fast, physical style of basketball. Uh, I, I know some people call it street ball. It, you know, that's a that's a game. I don't know. I, I think Michigan still wins because I don't think North Carolina had had the talent uh, to keep pace for a whole game. But it's, you know, there's been situations where Michigan could get rattled and they didn't. And I think that's a testament to their defense. Uh, you know, they're, they're, this is where having guys coming back from a championship team or Final Four team can be so helpful because the bar has been raised for guys like Xavier Simpson, Charles Matthews, John Teske, and Isaiah Livers. And now, I mean, they know what it means to win big pressure-packed games. Jordan Poole, sorry, I didn't mean to exclude him from the list. And I think that's helped them find this kind of, uh, I think Frank Martin said it best, it's a championship DNA. 
You know, there's not a loose ball that someone doesn't go after. There's not a there's not a a, a reboundable ball that that someone isn't up for. You know, every cut is made the right way. Every pass is made the right way. It's the kind of stuff coaches dream about, but don't always get. And I think this team, uh, the competitive captains they have, as well as the experience they had last season, I think have opened the door to that possession-by-possession basketball. And that's where they broke Villanova, and they broke North Carolina, and they broke Purdue. I mean, those. I think if they played those games again, I, I still think they'd be a lot closer. But just over time, Michigan kind of has these back-breaking sequences uh, in which they're, they're able to run away from some of these teams. Yeah, I mean, so are we talking about things that they need to improve on? or? Just I don't know. I don't, I don't really have anything else to, to say. That was, a, that was a compliment. That was not something they need to improve on. I was going to say on. I didn't think so at all. <laughs> this was the opposite. I think, uh, you know, for me, I think the, the biggest thing for them to kind of take that, because there's always a next step, for them to take that next step, I think the biggest thing is uh, Simpson offensively still. Uh, yeah, you know, you know that came up against North Carolina. So what what do you think of that? Because there was a, I think it was three straight possessions. He he bricked the three. John Beeline defended him pretty. I, I'm okay with him. Yeah. I, that's the thing. I'm okay with him taking those shots. It's like, you know, Michigan was in control of the game. He's a guy that I think had been struggling a little bit from the outside and knew it. You know, and like that's a way to try to get going. I mean, you don't want you don't want all of a sudden for him to not feel like he's you know not feel comfortable enough to take that shot when it's there. You know, and I, I think uh, as dynamic as because you can you're already starting to see kind of what we see every year when they have to replace some guys is like you're already starting to see where the offense is is the, the signs are there that this is gonna, that unit's really going to start clicking more and more as the season goes on. I think Simpson evolving offensively a little bit more. Again, just, I mean, it really does pretty much come down to hitting the outside shot. Because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, we've seen oh, his hook shots and his, his yeah, funky high rising layups. You know, those work. He's nifty in the lane when he can get in there, right? And uh, his ability to shoot from the outside. And again, I mean, this is kind of the same story as it's been with him, but, I, you know, we've, we've seen it time and time again. It's never too late with these guys under beeline, you know, with, with, we remember when Walton just all of a sudden like woke up one day and was one of the best players in the big 10. You know, I think Simpson's a guy that's got the tools, you know, to make himself more valuable offensively by hitting the outside shot, but also being able to capitalize when he does get to the free throw line. And I know that's a thing that's been probably talked about to death, but again, I mean, down the stretch, and I know it's a deal where, like, last year, you know, I think everyone all year, it's going to cost them, you know, and it never did because yeah. they made it the championship game. <laughs> I always love that. T- you know, I mean, yeah. it, it, but, but it's you, rooted but logic, in smart things. but Right, yeah. right, right. The logic is sound, but, yeah, it never really did actually come back to bite them is, <laughs> is the thing. You know, it's kind of waiting, 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 uh, and it never did. But you never know if it will still. Mm-hmm. And so for him to get more consistent in that area, I think it, or those are things that could – I mean, really open up because, you know, Michigan loves the pick and roll at the top and teams right now don't have to respect Simpson as much on those plays as they do Teske, you know, and, and if Simpson can kind of keep them on it a little more honest, it'll open things up for Teske. It'll open things up for everybody. And uh, again, not that they're not already creating opportunities for guys, but when you consider how strong they've been in transition so far, you know, if they can get, a little more out of Simpson, enough to keep defenses on him, or you know that where they don't have to shade off of him a little bit more. Uh, they they can be really really dangerous in their half court set too. And then it's then to me to me, you know, the sky is the limit right now for them. And that if that if they can get to that point, because you show me where they'd be, you know, show me where they have a glaring weakness at that point outside again the depth being the one thing, right? But outside of that, show me a weakness on any, on either end of the floor at that point. You know, they're not relying too much on the outside shot like they were. They have four or five guys that can not just score, but can dribble, create open, create open shots for other guys, and, and maybe even score when they get into the lane. Um, it's just different than what Beeline's teams have been in the past. You know, and it's it's kind of a culmination of that positionless basketball that he's talked about, that others have talked about, that 
what the game is kind of turning into, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and I think, I think Michigan has always, you know, run best when they, when they have that at point guard um, in yeah. some capacity. So that's kind of the final step for me. Uh, but I mean, you look at the, you look at the landscape right now. I mean, Michigan's got it. They, they definitely look like the best team in what looks like a strong big 10. I don't know about you. I don't know. I haven't watched as much as you, I guess I kind of think Wisconsin might be the second best team in the conference right I've now. I've got Michigan state as number two, Wisconsin. Okay. They lost well, at Marquette, but Wisconsin's going to be a top 15 team. I think Purdue will end up getting, getting back state, up there. State. That was a nice win for them uh, at Florida. They've actually had a couple pretty nice, Mm-hmm. You know, I know they've had a couple losses, but they've had some pretty good wins too to begin the year. Uh, I'm just still not. I just until Winston can can beat Simpson. I just I just think Michigan. I wouldn't pick Michigan State over Michigan. I would just say <laughs> right. No, no, no. I know. I, I just I'm just saying. I guess what I'm saying is though is that right now as things stand right now, it's like Michigan's got and their schedule. I don't feel is as horrible. It's slated to be lighter. I don't think it's going to be quite as light because the Big Ten is better now. But, but they, they don't get, go to Nebraska, right? That's one. Right. They don't go to Nebraska. Road. They don't go to Ohio State. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and every I think every good team is going to end up going through Chrysler. Right. Um. So so yeah, it's a favorable schedule. I don't think it's going to be like you know a two game difference or anything like that. But you know, I guess guess we'll see. Yeah, Michigan State, they have they have a lot of good wins. I know I this is not to say Michigan's gonna necessarily, you know, I, I'd put Michigan State probably I'll do Big Ten power rankings uh probably on Monday because they don't none of these teams play very much, but um this is a slow time of year. But I'd probably put Michigan State second because they've they've beaten UCLA, you know, they they by twenty. They beat Texas by ten. Uh they beat Iowa by 22 they beat Florida on the road uh you know so they've they've had some good wins and their losses at Louisville and uh neutral against Kansas who might be the nation's best team depending on what what your metrics are uh they're good uh you know I think every I mean Indiana's good Maryland looks good yep. you know Purdue looks good uh you know Iowa looks generally good they're all doing themselves favors in non-conference play everyone but Illinois I think they're twenty-seven and and twelve. In Man, what's going on at Illinois? Well, they they had a really who I don't know who's worse, the team or the person who made their schedule. Because I mean, for them to go to Hawaii for that turn, they should not have been in that tournament. Sure, you know you you say no and just recognize that your team isn't ready. But uh, but other than that, I mean, everyone in the Big Ten's doing. Doing a number. I mean, they were three and eleven in the Big Ten ACC Challenge last year. They were seven and seven this year. They're like eight and four against the Big East right now. Uh, they're doing well against the Big Twelve. Iowa picked up a big win over Iowa State. You know, good good stats so far against the SEC. I mean, there really hasn't been a bad loss. Like Wisconsin has two two non conference losses, but it was to Virginia, hardly blameable, and then at Marquette. Which you know, I think Wisconsin was favored, but Marquette looks like a good team too. So sure. yeah, that's that's sort of tangential. But Big Ten looks a lot better this year. So really, everything went Michigan's way in the first month and change of the season. I mean, they 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 caught. I think they caught a couple teams in transitional periods, right? I mean, Villanova obviously replacing four. Top thirty-five NBA draft picks is uh, no much easier said than done, you know. And and Purdue replacing four starters from last year probably better to play them in December than in February, uh, you know. And I think you could same with Providence. They they lost four starters or three starters, so uh, you know some luck went their way. But you know what? The Big Ten looks good. They look even better, uh, you know. I, I think I think it I think it's going to end up being a, a memorable season for Michigan fans. So, uh, you think it's the you think it's ridiculous though that Tennessee passed them in the poll? Nah, I mean no. Well, what good's being undefeated? It's not you know Michigan's destroyed two of the top seventeen teams in the rankings. Like I I was dumb. Like I mean, if what more do you got to do here to get even in the top four? <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good I don't, point. You know what I, it's like they're not. You're telling me they're not one of the five best. 
like resume wise, especially they're not one of the five best teams in the country. Right resume now. wise, they are number one in the country. Hence the net rankings. Oh, the net. I forgot yeah. about the net. The, all hail funny. the mighty net rankings. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, what, what's to say, people? Forget about it. Let's yeah. Just go off whatever the net. <laughs> you know how to go. Whatever the best one is. You know, it's like when the recruiting rankings, if 24, if we have them, 24-7, we have them lower than rivals or whoever. You know, <laughs> oh, well, now all they're, they really know how to evaluate evaluate guys this year. <laughs> you know, better than they did last year. Uh, so, I guess that's the way it is. AP poll. Took a credibility hit this week. Uh, Want to know why? Go read a Gary Parish CBS Sports column. Uh, but anyway, Michigan looks very good. Uh, they have a very, very good shot of, I mean, I think they have a 98.5% chance of finishing 2018 undefeated, 13-0. And then, you know, it's Penn State, Indiana, Illinois. Uh, can't remember who the fourth team is. I mean, they've got a pretty good chance of being 17-0 heading into Wisconsin. So, uh for Michigan football fans looking for something to, to, I mean, you know, else to do. Uh, basketball team looks pretty good. Uh, I know we got, we had one football question that I think is worth noting, uh, but I might table it to next week because basketball, they, don't, they aren't playing as many good teams this week. So uh, as Steve suggested before the podcast, we'll end this one on a high note. For Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. Check out all of our stories at the Michigan Insider and 247sports.com. Uh, you know, I'm writing basketball and football, a little bit of hockey, hockey when we can fit it in, uh, but but plenty of content coming this week, next week, and all the way through. Uh, well, well, 24/7. That's what our that's what our name is. So check it all out. TheMichiganInsider.com, 247sports.com. This has been the Wolverine 24/7 podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next week.